and that's what I'm most excited. I what I call like high touch care. That in my research in education, I hire people from different backgrounds, so my nursing students can get exposure and experience working in the multidisciplinary teams for research, or be translated into our education, into our curriculum, and how you can work with different professionals in a meaningful way and be their role models. How can schools of nursing support technological and digital innovation in the rapidly changing landscape of 21st century healthcare and nursing education? Let's talk all about it with Dr. Jing Wang, Dean and Professor of the Florida State University College of Nursing, right here on episode 423 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello there. This is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you, your personal professional development, your career, and the healthcare system writ large. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, medicine, entrepreneurship, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride. And I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And just remember, you're listening to podcasts, so now you can get CEUs from listening to nursing podcasts. That's right. Go to rnegade.pro, R-N-E-G-A-D-E.pro, where they're building a vast library of nursing podcasts where you can earn continuing education credits just by listening. You can listen to my work or any other content creator. So avail yourself of the very affordable CEs at rnegade.pro. And if you'd like to help other people find the show, please leave a rating and review over on Apple or Google or Amazon or Spotify, or just share the show with anyone for whom you think it would be useful or enjoyable. And you can find the show notes on any app where you happen to be listening or in the drop-down menu marked podcasts on nursekeith.com. And as I said, we're here with Dr. Jing Wang. She is the Dean of the Florida State University College of Nursing and so much more. And Dr. Wang, it's really an honor to have you here. There's a lot to talk about. And the first thing I want to ask you is what most excites you about innovation and technology at this time in the development of nursing and healthcare in the 21st century? Yes. I think what's most exciting is all the untapped opportunities on how we can leverage innovation and technology to advance nursing and healthcare. I don't think we are where we need to be. And that excites me that there's so much work that needs to be done. And being someone in the field, working on technology before the age of a smartphone, I felt strongly that nurses play a key role in this innovation technology transformation in both education and practice. And that's just excites me every day. We have so much work to do and nurses should be at front and center in these innovation technology advances in the decision table and in sort of discussion and collaboration with all of our computer engineers and biomedical informaticians, digital companies that has a big digital health strategy. They don't think about nurses. 
as they design the solutions. They think about nurses as, well, let's call them and ask them to give us feedback on how we do. Well, we're the most trusted profession. We're the best advocate for a patient. And with the biggest healthcare happening in the United States, we're spending a lot of money doing all the innovations and using technology. And we need to empower more nurses to be leaders and to be leading all of these innovations in collaboration with others. I agree with you. And I think what vexes a lot of nurses, what I hear out in the world, and I'm sure you hear the same thing, is that a new device all of a sudden gets introduced and here it is at the bedside or here it is, you're supposed to carry this around with you and now you're going to use this this device and you start to use it and you think, why didn't they ask us what would be most useful at the bedside before they built it rather than waiting till they spent millions or billions of dollars and then they say, oh, how is it for you now? And we have to tell them, well, you know what? I think you should go back to the drawing board. So how do we leverage the skill, expertise, knowledge that nurses have and get them involved and get them a seat at the table? Yeah, exactly. I'll give an example. You know, as one of the, you know, first few nurses who were working on technology, not because I'm excited about technology, but because of a field that I'm studying is called self-monitoring. And at the time, there wasn't a smartphone. We were using personal digital assistants or paper diaries where we can track if people open it or not. It is a field that nurses care about that if you monitor yourself, you're more likely to know how you are doing, then you're more likely to do it. You can lose weight, you can control your diabetes, control your hypertension, and all of that. I started as a nurse observing this as a challenging issue for my patients, for my nurses who spend majority of the time of the visit to ask patients about what did you eat? What did you do? getting to know exactly what they eat in order to give them feedback. But if you have an app and if you connect this app where nurses only can spend like one minute of their time to know how you're doing, you can spend the next 29 minutes of your visits to actually deliver nursing education and care. So uh, I think, you know, what my experience has been that we need to start with a problem. And nurses are super good at doing that. There are so much fragmented care. And when we talk about interoperability, that's exactly what nurses need. When we, you know, uh, take patients' information, when we need this information to flow through the system to where they are at home, we care a lot about this, what in the technology world is called electronic health worker, interoperability, and connected technology connected health systems. And, but what I care is nurses being the, at the best side, even not every nurse is at the best side, you know, nurses work in different settings, but nurses understand the need of the patients and nurses understand the workflow that need to happen in order to provide the best care to the patients and understand that workflow and what is best for the patients is so key when we think about what, what technology advances that are needed in order to advance it. 
So one example I would like to give you is that we have, um, I have developed a curriculum where I bring students from medicine, nursing, public health, biomedical informatics, all together to study about mobile and connected health technology. And that was very earlier before COVID, before the term digital health was invented. We, we would bring students together and give them team training so they can respect each other and also giving them the content in collaboration with, at the time, Texas Medical Center Innovation Institute, where there are startup companies that are working on different digital therapeutics and digital health strategies and all of that to train our students. And we end the course with a hackathon project where we have patient mentors, we have industry mentors, we have expert mentors from all fields to help us help our students to evaluate, you know, doing the hackathon period about how they do. So that is something we can think about. We cannot expect our students to just working teams by the time they graduate if we don't train them in teams and we cannot expect them to know how to work with different technologies and expect them hope oh, hey by the way when you graduate you need to know it but we're not training you when you are in school and that's why i feel like it's an ecosystem that we need to sort of start with education but introduce industry and others and engage them in the education of our healthcare professionals, including nursing and others, with engineers, computer scientists, biomedical informaticians together. Um, so I, I think that's something we can do and start with at every level, but don't forget about the importance of education. Right. And I know there are things like the Johnson & Johnson Innovation Fellowship. I have some colleagues who've been involved in that, either as instructors and mentors or as the, the mentees who are involved in the program. But I know at Florida State University College of Nursing, you you have these, well, you call it a design sprint, but it is ostensibly a hackathon, yes. which is multidisciplinary. Mm -hmm. So is this the sort of education you're talking about where we bring people together from different disciplines and get them accustomed to one another and break down the walls of the silos where we're all kind of walled off from one another. So that's great to happen in the educational sphere in academia. But then out in the industry, like when we get out into the real world beyond academia, how yeah. do we then incentivize engineers and nurses and physicians and others to work together? What has to happen to make it happen out in the, you know, in the private sector you know, beyond academia? Yes. I think we need to empower more nurses to be leaders who work in different areas, including industry, right? I think when you look at a lot of the nursing innovation companies, you don't see any nurse in the executive team. However, it's called a nurse, a tech nurse, a nurse robot, or anything, any, any, type that you can see. I When I talk about it's important that in education field that we do that. I also feel like there needs to be some specialized training such as, you know, the J&J, you know, Nurse Innovation Fellowship you talk about, but it's only a small group of fellows that we're talking about, yeah. right? And even when we're doing design sprint and hackathon, it is not every single nursing student 
will have that. And my goal is that I would like for every single nursing student to have some type of interaction or some type of training during the curriculum that they have. So it's like everyone will have to have, right? We need to increase the number, increase the base before we talk about anything influential. We also can incentivize industry to work with academia in a way that we are training your future workforce. And not everyone realizes that, but I think it takes people who have network, who has connections, and who can speak both sides of the language. And I have done a lot of that myself and understanding how difficult it can be because people in academia and industry don't run at the same speed and don't really sometimes don't have the respect for what it takes for each other to work together on the same page. So I think we just continue to need to develop more leaders and more nurses, more healthcare providers who have that knowledge, who can speak the other side of the language in industry to start working with them, bring them in to see the benefits of working with academia. But in the meantime, train more of people who have that knowledge, who will become the workforce in these industry, kind of infiltrating and help them realize how much value and how much more money you can save. Industry's goal is money, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we turn that into what we call value-based care, right? Add more value for our patients and more compassionate care for our patients that nurses are the best at. Mm -hmm. I think that's there are different ways we can work on that, but it needs to be happening at all levels. Right. So if I'm a nurse out there in the world right now, boots on the ground, right? Uh, Like many nurses, I know either colleagues or some of my clients, you know, we want to get involved. So we might join a technology development committee in our hospital, or we might become a epic super user or trainer, for instance, we want to get involved with the IT department. So we try to find a way, like, how can we get involved? Do do nurses need specialized master's degrees, PhDs, you know, terminal degrees in these technology-related areas in order to be taken seriously, to have credibility out in the world? Or are there ways to get involved beyond what I just mentioned without having to, you know, throw down the money for yet another master's degree or a doctoral degree? Yes. I think there are specific positions in different hospitals and healthcare systems that are designed for, you know, nurse informatician, you know, and all of that where, you know, nurses who have more technology experience can volunteer and join committee exactly the things that you talk about, right? Mm-hmm. And you, know, you can sign up for, you know, fellowships. We just talking about the J&J one and different hackathons that you can join. I think, um, you know, I, I personally would love to see many, many nurses who can try different things that fit in their lifestyle. There are a lot of online virtual programs, being a master and doctoral DNP or a PhD. They're all like virtual ones that are fully 100% online. And there are some that are dedicated to be, you know, nursing informatics. 
uh, if you would like to be, you know, an ultimate expertise, sometimes I also think it's important to have the connection. Who do you know and mm-hmm. who are in this field? I I don't really think that you really need a certificate or degree in order to be an expert in something. However, sometimes that degree is basically gives you a network, of course, systematic training, which is important. Mm-hmm. If you can afford the money and the time, and um, I also think it's about um, you know personal career goals, right? If you want to, this is definitely the area that you are interested in. You want to be a leader. The more investment that you take, like spending some time, a couple of years to focus on that, may help you, uh, you know, getting to to be in a program where you are going to be well connected with all the leaders in the in the field or you can go to a conference sometimes you know you, you can go but nobody cares about who you are uh except that if you are you know a star researcher from you know one field and then you get the attention of people so i i don't think there is one way that you can get there. There are different ways, but I certainly think, you know, the the connections and the access to leaders and your your pathway toward a leader can be different. But but I think the networking is the most important and talking to mentors and realizing different mentors have different pathways toward their success. And, which one works the best for you at your current career stage is the most important. I know a lot of people can't afford to give up their job to just focus on school for one or two or three years for a terminal degree. Mm-hmm. And there are ones that are more flexible, that are reputable, that you can try. Like our entire program for our DMP is online and we're launching a fully online PhD program. And we have world-class faculty that are, you know, really award-winning. We just had a new institute on digital health and innovation started and launched at our college that will give you access to these top-notch leaders in the field of digital health and other areas. And that's where it opens door for you in leadership, in research, or in pioneering innovations. But there are also other ways that you can, you know, meet people and, you know, and contribute and work hard. And so I, I think there are different ways. There's no one way, but I think don't give up and talk to people and seek help, seek mentoring. And I have people who just find me in LinkedIn and wanted me to be their mentor. And I, I think it's you can try different ways and see which ways works the best for you and which way works. And if it not worked then try different things, maybe you do need a terminal degree. So, but that's not the only way. Exactly. There are many, many avenues and there, there is a certain credibility that comes when you have invested in your education and you have those letters after your name, that is part of the reality of our society. And speaking of Florida State University College of Nursing and your Institute on Digital Health and Innovation, you have a special connection with NIH. Can you tell us a little bit about what's happening in the partnership between NIH and your Digital Health and Innovation Institute? Yes. So our founding director of the Institute on Digital Health and Innovation received 
the largest ever that I, I know in a nursing school, 72.7 million to develop a national clinical trial network that is focused on HIV prevention and care for LGBTQ plus population um, with the specifically for the youth population. But importantly, you know, they have just word, what I described as world-class faculty with all of the digital health innovations happening in this field. So it is funded by NIH for this clinical trial network and digital health is certainly central to this interventions that are considered in these clinical trials that will provide care for this population. So that is one connection we have, but that's not the only grant that we have mm -hmm. to support the different digital health uh, you know, approach from social media to mobile apps to wearable technologies. It can be funded by National Institute of Health. We also have funding from Merck, from CDC, from FDA. So different areas of funding that we are receiving support that they trust our investigators at our Institute on Digital Health and Innovation, but we also have Brain Science and Symptom Management Center, Center of Population Sciences for Health Equity in these different areas where we can leverage technology to advance topics that are important for nursing and healthcare. Hmm. And as, as a doctorally prepared nurse and leader and academician and nurse scientist and researcher, tell me about your interdisciplinary research. What, what's been your focus? What, where does your your greatest interest lie and where have you put most of your energy when it comes to your research time and resources mm -hmm. i think you know i i started looking into the role of technology um how can we better help patients monitor and realize their health conditions their lifestyle behaviors how that play a significant role even more than medication can impact their disease conditions. So I started to focus on overweight, obese population, then type 2 diabetes patient, hypertension, and they can all benefit from what I call easy monitoring um, and can result in significant health outcomes, improvements in how I can see they lose weight, they control their diabetes, they control their hypertension within a very short time with some simple technology assistance where I get people to monitor their diet and exercise. I get seniors to do that who never have used smartphone before and they become experts in doing that. There are tips and tricks. That's why I felt so strong about nurses can can and know how to best design technologies because we don't want technologies to be too fancy that you know seniors cannot even see all the little graphs and things they don't have enough you know eyesight to do that when they become you know aged and then i slowly transitioned to be well, it is not important. It's not only important that they become aware and regulate their own behaviors to help manage their conditions. It is important that information, because of the technology advance, can be connected directly to their healthcare providers. And AI can play a role in making those information synthesized and summarized in simple 
for our healthcare professionals and save our healthcare professionals time in doing dietary recalls, which takes 30 minutes sometimes for patients who have lower health literacy and from, you know, minority background or underserved communities. So how can we save time for our healthcare professionals who can benefit from knowing more about our patients, social determinants of health, all of this information, right? It's too overwhelming for our healthcare professionals. So I move into this connected technology. When I connect a smartphone, a wearable remote monitoring data to electronic health worker, how can we make sure it's not taking too much of a cognitive load for our healthcare providers? Then I study usability. And you know, if it takes, if I ask a nurse to complete a task in the connected platform, if it takes more than 15 seconds, that's meaning I'm asking them to do too much. Then we need to rethink about the design of the system. So that is one example, but I got really interested in this connected health and connected technology. How can we make it simple and easy for patients? For the monitoring side, can be objective monitoring, meaning can be a sensor in their environment so they don't have to do anything. To how can my nurses, doctors, dietitians can have shared information, understand that, but not being overwhelmed by all of these remote monitoring devices and social determinants of health data that they are asked to review and action upon and not have alarm fatigue for every little alarm that we set up in this systems. So that is sort of overall where I'm really fascinated about how can we understand the workflow and start with that to develop, co-create and co-design and put objective usability at the core of it. You can't just say, hey, I like it or I don't like it. You interview 100 nurses, that's perfect product. No, you have to be objective saying, when you expect a nurse to do this, how much time does it take for them to use this technology to do it? So get to the bottom of that. That's where I spend a lot of time. And also aging is also an important area for me, especially with a lot of patients who have more than 10 conditions. You can't imagine how many medications they're taking in mm-hmm. one day. They need to manage diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, sometimes mental health conditions. All of that, you can't give them 10 apps or 20 apps to use. That is too much. So how can we create connected systems that can also simplify all of those information and to be shared with their caregivers, family members, and healthcare providers? And how can we streamline that part of the things and making sure some people don't want to do any monitoring? Can we use AI to study it? And, you know, monitor it in, then in every way so that we can use one part of the monitoring, which takes the least or most comfortable for them, can predict other ways where they need to know more about where they are and to make sure that they are safe, but they can have a choice. But we need to study it first, putting people on all of the ways that we can use AI to do certain predictions and how can we leverage that? Also, another area is for AI. Mm-hmm. AI is such a black box, right? The way it is AI, meaning there is no algorithm in a way you can do simple prediction. So with this black box, there are novel, more 
newer machine learning and AI algorithms where you can consider an expert in that loop of developing the algorithm. So we are working on a project, what I call nurse in the loop AI, where how your AI can be more incorporating nurses expertise in that prediction. And overall, my goal is more focusing on not only research, but also, you know, I've worked with people from all kinds of background is to bring the caring piece and the nursing piece at the center to like tell them, you know, in order for your AI to work, you can't just give me a black box. I will work with you. You need to incorporate nursing's expertise and knowledge in its prediction, work with you and evaluate the product with you. Um, And that's what I'm most excited. I, what I call like, high-tech, high-touch care that Mm -hmm. in my research, in education, I hire people from different backgrounds so my nursing students can get exposure and experience working in the multidisciplinary teams for research or be translated into our education, into our curriculum and how you can work with different professionals in a meaningful way and be their role models. Hmm. Well, when we come back from the break, I'd like to talk more about AI. You mentioned that several times. I'd also like to talk more about the aging population because you've brought them up several times as well. And that's where technology can really play a major role if we do it right. So these are all fascinating areas. There's so much to talk about. So when we come back from the break, please stay with us and we'll return with Dr. Jing Wang, Dean and Professor of the Florida State University College of Nursing, right here on episode 423 of The Nurse Keith Show. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with friend of the pod and my new friend and colleague, Dr. Jing Wang, the dean and also a professor at the Florida State University College of Nursing. And Dr. Wang, right before the break, we were talking about the work that you've done, how you've been focusing on high-tech, high-touch interfaces where we can improve the lives of patients, but also improve the workflow for the nurses who are caring for them. And I know that you have an interest in the aging population, which you've mentioned several times, and the future of aging in the U.S. and in other countries, obviously, is an issue. It's something we're really thinking about. Certain countries are aging much more quickly than others. Italy, for instance, Japan, we have many countries where that aging population is becoming, it's growing exponentially. So there's this whole idea of aging in place, hospital at home. We hear all these different terms. So You've brought up a couple issues so far in the first half. We have wearable technologies. We have sensor technologies. I've been hearing about smart fabrics that people are developing. Mm -hmm. So what do we do in terms of using these technologies to develop, let's say, a smart home where an aging elder can actually maintain more independence for longer? What do you picture? Like, what's your... What's your vision of what's possible? Yes, I certainly think that we we have had a lot of technology advances in aging and in aging in place. 
I would like to see continued development in these areas where we can see changes and um, you know engaging just the entire workforce need to be sensitive and familiar with that the fact that we have an aging society and especially in the state of Florida, lots of retirees mm-hmm. and AARP survey has said over 90% of seniors would like to age in place, meaning they want to age in their own home. They want to, they, they don't want to end up being a nursing home. So where I see is the, um, a lot of options need to be in place. We start with, you know, 50 plus senior community. At the time, you're still very independent. You may not need a lot. And you're living in a community, you have connected healthcare systems and hospitals. Um, so I definitely envision in the future when we have people who buy a model home or go and see, you know, model homes, you shop different floor plans, you shop different appliances. I definitely see the future of a model home. You just see where people can shop for different aging in place technologies and their floor, there are things where there are possible things that need to be installed in the future. If this is my aging in place home, I would like to design it when I purchase this new home that everything is being thought out. Future things can be folded into the wall or things can, uh, you know, handrails and bars can be installed later and it wouldn't take much of structural changes in my house to do that Mm -hmm. for the future. And if I need certain floor plans that can consider fall prevention or fall detection when I'm by myself in the home that I need to trigger alarm or alert to my family members or an agency that can, you know, get that alarm or alert and respond immediately for those conditions. So I, I see a smartphone home for the future aging in place should consider all aspects of that right not just fabrics my clothes uh, an alarm that i put uh, in my body where if i think i'm dying i need to you know hit the button someone will show up it needs to be tailored at every age stage depending on the functional status the mobility status i may need to be in wheelchair so when i bought this home it is designed for, you know, I can walk. And when I need to be in a wheelchair, how the structure and how all of these things will be considered as I'm purchasing my idea and dream home for me to age there. Um, and all of the things that can be wearable that can be added to the house. But what are some of the things that can be simplified and consolidated? And also, most importantly, when there's no electricity, when there's no power, mm-hmm. what can I do? Well, how can I live in the home when there is disaster coming? You know, there's sort of hurricanes in a lot of the states. All of that needs to be taken into consideration in a high-tech, high-touch world for smartphone for aging. It, it, it All the privacy, ethical issues, who do I want to share what data with at what time? And all of this, we have a lot of expertise, but just no one has considered that for a live individual and for a live individual who have different needs. 
And how can we make that happen is where I think the future smart home should consider all aspects of that. Mm -hmm. That's right. And there's a lot of technologies that are developed that I think not much thought has been put into them. Like my father-in-law, for instance, we got him a smartphone that was allegedly developed for elders. And it actually worked very poorly for someone with cognitive issues. The, the, his ability to navigate it was was very poor. And a lot of that had to do with the interface. The interface just was not considered in terms of what an elder truly needs, especially one with mild cognitive decline. And you mentioned in the first half of the show how if we can simplify and streamline so that maybe a lot of data gets recorded that the elder doesn't actually have to do any input actually, Mm -hmm. in order for that data to be recorded and even sent to their electronic health record. So there's a lot that can be done. And I know in some countries, I think in Japan specifically, they're making use of robots in the home for companionship, which can seem odd to many of us, but some studies show that it can actually be effective. So do you think robotics has a place? And do you have any concerns about the use of robotics in this type of context and the use of artificial intelligence are there is there both a kind of like a dark side and a light side to these technologies yes certainly i see pros and cons for any any technology is a double edged sword mm-hmm. that's why we need nurses to be in the team because i think nurses have the ethical standards and nurses understand we do not want a robot to control our patient, right? We need to think about robot as a tool that can support nurses and can support seniors in what they need. And I think that is core when I think about not only a high-tech, high-touch care, or I try to highlight the high-touch care is the most important. Technology needs to serve that. And we need people who is very sensitive and aware of the patient nurse's needs as we develop these technologies, because you can't have the best robot. They can do everything. But if they're trying to drive what they think is the best for the senior and not truly what the senior needs, then it is taking a lot of autonomy. It is taking, you know, seniors are very vulnerable population. So like, how can we make sure the needs, the companion needs of our seniors are met when there is not a human who can meet such needs? So I do see an area for people who otherwise would not have access to the high-touch care by a real person or a real individual, right? We do not want our seniors to be depressed we do, we do want, if a robot can entertain our senior and make a fun life throughout the day, then I do see a significant role, a robot or a pet companion, a robot pet companion mm-hmm. in a way that is not going to make my senior fall. And, you know, then it ends up being a more a trouble or a, a more a barrier for my seniors to age in place safely. Versus the companionship that's going to, you know, soothe their soul and help them. So like all of this, if we can consider all of that in the design phase of it, 
and see how can we better design robots and leveraging AI be a chatbot or a real robot where you can touch and feel, or you know something where you can see how can we see what what does this patient need at this moment, and does the society have the resources and access for this individual? And I think that's core. Loneliness is a real thing for seniors. And if a robot can meet that need and does not, you know, also danger our seniors physically, and I think, you know, it's not a bad, bad idea, but AI and robot can just be deployed in whatever way a, a computer engineer designs it. It mm-hmm. really needs to serve the human needs. And I think that's at the core of the development and the deployment of any technology, including especially robots for our seniors. I think you're right. And, you know, there's a lot in the news right now about AI, you know, chat GPT and all the other aspects of AI that are developing right now. And it's moving very quickly. And many people in those spheres are coming out saying we need to slow down a little bit because Mm -hmm. we can't let these technologies get ahead of us. We need to actually make sure that the the human agency remains a big piece of of the puzzle here, especially for vulnerable populations like seniors. So I can see that. And for you personally, you've had you've had a very fascinating career journey. I mean, you're doctorally prepared. You also have an MPH. You're a fellow of the American Academy of Nursing. Uh, you're a health and aging policy fellow, an American Political Science Association congressional fellow. Uh, you've been a senior scientific advisor to the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. What would you say to nurses out there? Because you say people contact you to be their mentor. What would you say about what you've learned in your journey that are the most important lessons, the kernels of, of your experience that nurses today, especially the younger ones, can leverage so that they can create careers that are satisfying, that are meaningful, where they can contribute, whether they're interested in technology or not, where they can make positive contributions. What are, what are the most important things you've learned I think certainly is come out of your comfort zone to work with others who don't speak the same language you do. Mm-hmm. I think it's so core with respect. And it's so important. I think I have the luxury to have the experience to work with people from different backgrounds um, in all racial, ethnic, sexual minority groups and aging and just all, all areas. I think that gave me the luxury to to learn and have the skill to be able to work with people from all different backgrounds and understand people's needs easily and quickly. I think that's as a nurse, you know, we deliver compassionate care for everyone. And how how do we do that? And I find it very helpful when every time I think about what value can I add to the table. And not think about what what's in it for myself, but what's in it for the others. And that have that has brought me a lot of 
um, I guess, a lot of learning and a lot of the things where I think even when I have others' best interests as my best interest actually eventually benefit me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think um, having that kind of attitude and always a continuous learning attitude is so key and is core to interdisciplinary collaboration. Everyone thinks that they know the best in their area, but if there is someone who can try to facilitate that conversation and you know appreciate others more than yourself sometimes can can help you the most and that's what i would say we need a lot of nursing leaders if you're a young nurse i i encourage you to really stand up and um and learn and uh immerse yourself with good mentors and seek opportunities to develop yourself and be a leader we need more leaders to be at the table we need more nursing leaders to be working with people who otherwise would not understand nursing but try to replace nursing to some extent using a robot or using ai we would like to drive that innovation do not shy away from it we need to know how to master it hmm. So what I'm hearing from you, the overarching message is collaboration, multidisciplinary collaboration. I'm also hearing, you didn't use this word specifically, but what I'm getting from you is that you need to be curious and open. You need to have that intellectual and psycho-emotional curiosity about other people, about technology. And, and you also mentioned continuous learning that... So what I hear also is that we can't remain stagnant because this the world is moving so quickly. We can't just stay, like you said, we have to get out of our comfort zone. And you've you've been involved in so many different milieus, so many different areas of research, academia, professional study, and you've been involved in so many different areas that seems that you've just followed your intellect, you've followed your curiosity, and you've followed what interests you the most with an eye on the development of your career. And has has being an academician, being a professor, what has that done for you in terms of your sense of satisfaction, you know, working with students and watching students grow? How do you experience the side of as the as a professor what do you see and what do you feel yes i think it's the most um rewarding part of my career is that you get to train the next generation and mm-hmm. i think when you get to engage them in the different experience that you have had and you get to share that with the students be it research be it in a class that i teach or be it that I mentor others, giving people opportunities, hire people for different jobs. And um, I think the, the the part is that you are changing others' life trajectory with higher education and with experience, with mentoring, with opportunities for them. Hmm. That's lovely. Yeah, I can really see that 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 is close to your heart. And that ability to to reach other people and inspire and mentor other people is very important to you. And I'd love to talk to you further. And as we wind down, because we have to, in the interest of time, I have four quick questions I ask all my guests. And are you ready for a little lightning round of questions? 
Yeah, sure. You know, I'm not good at getting quick answers, but I'll try. <laughs> okay, we'll try. Okay. So the first question is, how do you define success, either personally and or professionally? Impact. Impact. And what does that mean? What What do you mean by impact? The impact that you have on other people's lives, on patients, on the society, changes you can make that impact a large group of people and community. Spoken like a true nurse. Okay. <laughs> um, second question. Could you name or just describe a person who's inspired you in the course of your life? They can be living or dead. They can be famous or just someone that none of us would ever have heard of, but who is very special and important to you. Yes. So I think my former dean who have hired me and called me the, the time when she offered me a job as a vice dean for research. She said, I'm going to mentor you to be a dean. And I was like, that wasn't what I planned. <laughs> I only, I tried to plan it only the job as a vice dean for research, but I think she has been instrumental in mentoring me, giving me different perspectives and calling me out when I need more mentoring. And um, so I think um, she has just given me and thrown me out there and leading uh, on the go by myself in a way, in a collaborative team that I have. So I think that, that experience that I have, that three years that I had under her as a vice team in San Antonio, Texas, has been kind of, um, very transformation for me. I feel like when I became the dean here, I sort of feel like I'm so much prepared. Uh, it's like you landed on a job and you feel like you know how to do everything. And, um, you know, it's a big job, but I felt I felt so well prepared. Uh, not to say every day I'm putting out fires and I have challenges, but that experience um, is um, very transformation for me. So I always, you know, thank her. We stay still stay in touch, and um, just how she leads and how the experience that I have had under her leadership that I get to lead a group and sort of as my first official sort of vice dean kind of, dean kind of leadership experience has been transformation. That's the first time I found that rewarding piece where I change people's lives mm. like for the rest of their life for, for the entire trajectory that touched me deeply. That's wonderful. And I'm sure there's many people out there who would say the same of you that you've guided them as well. So you pat, you're paying it forward. Okay. Third question, penultimate question. Is there a book or even a movie, and it doesn't have to be an absolute favorite because that's hard for many of us to name, that's had an impact on either the way you think, yes. the way you live your life. So I actually have a book right here. I know you cannot see it, but it's Taking Action, Top 10 Priorities to promote health, equity, and well-being in nursing. That um, I I think, you know, I really think mm -hmm. taking actions are so important. We have the Future of Nursing report, the most downloaded report from the National Academy of Medicine, funded by Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, um, and really led by one of my dear mentors, Dr. Sue Hasmiller, who have joined our faculty and, and you know she's a um the editor of this book it's about mm. when you when we have such instrument instrumental report of future of nursing 
and leading the pathway toward health equity, which is so important for our society and highlight the importance of nurses can do for the society. But into when we have the guidance, how do we go about implementing the changes in everyday lives? And how do we actually take actions? And this book has all the stories about how different nursing leaders are taking action at different levels to, you know, making this a reality, not just having a guideline, having a report, but that's so key and so important. It's transformational. But how can we take action? To make it happen for the entire society, and you know, to have health equity for everyone in America, um, I think you know, I this is the book that I've been reading and I've mm. enjoyed, and it's just so key. And it's the people you know that have sort of uh, changed lives a lot that I get to touch them in real person, and uh, getting to read their most recent book is. Um, it's very touching for me and I hope all of the nurses get to enjoy and get to know a person in their life where they can either read a book and learn from their story, learn from one of these stories in the book to take action to make real impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Dr. Hosmiller is a very inspiring uh, nursing leader, really wonderful person. Okay, last question. If you were named queen of the world tomorrow, what's one of the first things you would want to do to improve the lives of your subjects? And remember, being queen of the world means you have ultimate power. So I want to be your first action as queen. Um, Period. I think as a nurse, that's our ultimate goal. If I have the power Mm -hmm. to make it happen, um, I need everyone to live happy and healthy life. Spoken like a true nurse once again. <laughs> well, I would vote for you for sure. So Dr. Jing Wang, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. You're an inspiring nursing leader. I think innovation is such an important aspect of 21st century healthcare and nursing education right now. And thank you so much for taking the time and for being a true inspiring leader so out there in Thanks the world. For having I really me appreciate the work you're doing. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember, the show notes can be found at nursekeith.com. And remember to go to nursing.fsu.edu. That's nursing.fsu.edu to check out the Florida State University College of Nursing. They're also on Facebook. They're also on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. That is nursing.fsu.edu. I hope you feel inspired and uplifted from this episode. If you need personalized, holistic career coaching to elevate your nursing career, look no further than nursekeith.com and nursekeithcoaching. Mention the show and get 10% off your first coaching package. The Nurse Keith Show is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. The Nurse We Are, produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting, and Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster and newsletter wrangler. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by the musician Robert Fripp. 
May my living honor my parents. May my living repay the debt of my existence. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico and Dr. Jing Wang, Dean and Professor of the Florida State University College of Nursing saying arrivederci from Tallahassee, Florida. Thank you, Dr. Wang. Thank you to everyone for listening. And we will catch you on the proverbial flip side.